it's time to come together. This conversation is at the next step. Culture is set by leadership and who you choose to put into positions of leadership. It's not as though the cancer is out of the body. It's not. Leadership of an organization at the very top is really important. They are the culture carriers. The collective women's voices have had the courage to rise up and say, enough. Something about shining a spotlight on a problem that helps break the taboo. It helps lift the stigma. We have to collaborate. It takes everybody. Accountability is something that we cannot afford to lose. We cannot let that go. We need to redefine respect. It isn't enough to simply talk about equality. One must believe in it. The day I start fighting for equality and for people that look like you and me will be the day I'm in my grave. I'm Diana Pierce Burgess, and this is Press Forward, a podcast where we have conversations about workplace equality and solutions in our post-MeToo world. I'm a former journalist who, along with 12 courageous women, created Press Forward to change culture in American newsrooms and beyond. We look at new approaches and outside-the-box ideas, or reflect on past mistakes to find lessons learned so that everyone can do their best work, because this is not just a gender issue, it's one of human decency. Joining us today, Portia Robertson-Migas, Vice President of Marketing and Communication Strategy with MLT, and that is Management Leadership for Tomorrow. And we're going to hear a lot about that in a minute. Launched in 2002, MLT is a nonprofit organization that equips and emboldens high-achieving women and men from underrepresented communities to realize their full potential in career and life trajectories to make a mark and make a difference. With more than 20 years of experience in varied roles at ABC News and NPR, she brings all of her expertise as a producer, a manager, executive to her role today. She is a proud alumnus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Portia, welcome. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming. We, we, we both know each other way back when in the olden days of ABC News. It's good to be here. And um, But we're both in different roles now and talking about some really interesting things, I think. Tell us a little bit about MLT and how it got started and the, um, the impetus behind this kind of an organization and what, it's, what it sets out to do. So um, John Rice is the founder and CEO of Management Leadership for Tomorrow, which we call MLT. Um, it got started in beta kind of in 2002, but 15 years old. Um, he was in business school when the idea first hit him, he looked around and he didn't see anybody who looked like him. And for women or for people of color, we always know there's a problem if you're the only one in the room or if you're one of just a few in the room, then you're not being properly heard, you're not being properly understood, and there are all sorts of issues that can arise. So what John set out to do and what we do every day is work toward getting a critical mass of women and people of color in leadership positions so that if I look above me or below me, to the left side, to the right side, I can see somebody who looks like me in the workplace. And that seems like so basic and simple. Why you would think, why hasn't this happened before? Why aren't people, more people doing something about this? Um, But your approach is what I think is really interesting in the way that you are um, attacking this as a sort of a sports analogy, which is one thing I'd love to hear from you about. But also, look, you know, you're looking at individuals as well as systems. And so start 
Let's start with let's start with the the sports analogy. Okay, so the sports analogy is something that John can really embraces, um, partially because um, it's easy to understand, and partially because John really loves sports. He was a basketball player at, when he was at Yale University, and he really engages in this. Now we know it's not perfect, but it's one area in our society uh, where talented people from all walks of life have an opportunity to reach their full potential. And that's what MLT is doing. We're working to get everybody to have the opportunity to reach their full potential to be leaders. Um, when you're in sports, you get high accountability coaching. So if you're in little league, if you're in a middle school team and your high school team, you go on to college and to professionals, you have the opportunity to have high accountability coaching, which helps you reach your full potential. Mm -hmm. um, you have a playbook, mm -hmm. literally a playbook, but also the figuratively the playbook that shows you what you need to do, what you need to demonstrate to get to the next level um, and to advance, to advance on that team and in the workplace to advance throughout your organization. Um, and generally, when we think about this, the most important tips on how to thrive and get promoted and get to the next level in a workplace, those are passed on informally from person to person. Mm -hmm. But the people with power are generally white men, and they're passing on that information to other white men. They're not passing it on to women, mm -hmm. and they're not passing it on to people of color. Mm -hmm. And finally, in sports, we surround our players with an accelerating network of peers and mentors that help pull and push you along to be your best. Now, Diana, if you're the only woman in the room, Where's your accelerating? <laughs> Where <laughs> Who am I looking to? Right. Who are you looking to? And yeah. it's not to say that men can't sponsor or mentor women. It's not to say that pe white people can't sponsor or mentor people of color. But that's not the general way that this has been going. Right. And I think you touched upon something which I think everybody can relate to, which is in, I think in, in generally in sports, you are seen for your abilities. You are seen for your abilities and your talent more so than anything else, and exactly. so it doesn't matter about your socioeconomic background or your or your your color or your race or or your your gender. That it it really is all about your abilities and your and your performance. And if we could take that into the workplace, that would be fabulous. Yeah. It's not who you know. It's about do you have the talent and the ability to get the job done. That's right. the bottom line. Right. Right. And that's not the way the workplace is often marked. So you and I have both worked um, for many years, I won't say how many, and for a long time in the workplace. And I think we both have come from a generation where, uh, at least I can say, speak for myself, you know, and, and offices that I worked in were, were basically male-dominated offices. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I never looked back to see what kind of uh, ratio there was between color and white, but I'm sure it was also predominantly white. Um, and I think it's really important that we can have this conversation to figure out how to change the culture and to change the leadership and to change the um, the way that the offices have worked for so long. So how how does what is it specifically 
that your organization does with individuals as you bring them along? And where do you start? Because I think you told me it's in one conversation we had that you start actually in high school. Is that right? We, or? Well, we start in college. We have three levels um, at which we are reaching our fellows. So there's the college program. We start um, students apply in their sophomore year, and then we work with them for 18 months in their junior and senior years of of college. We have an MBA prep program um, with the second level, and we help people get into top business schools. 90% of those MLT fellows who work with our MBA prep program end up going to the top 10 business schools in the country. And then we work with folks mid-career, all with the goal of giving people the tools so they have the tools in their toolkit to get to that senior leadership position. So what what is it you do? So if they are in university and they are they are not one of many, they are an only, what is it that you're doing that you're coaching or you're giving them skills or tools? What are some of the specifics that you guys are doing? The same three things that athletes get, that they get high-level coaching, they get a playbook that makes it clear what it takes to get to the next level and the accelerating network, those three things that we give to athletes, we give to our fellows at MLT. So the coaching might be specifically, here is what you need to do when you Mm -hmm. walk into that office to not only survive in a job or survive in an internship, here's what you need to do to thrive in that job and move to the next level. Here's the personal clarity you need to know about what exactly it is that you want to do and find a career um, that fits your passion and that fits your skills so you can be really good at that job. And guess what? Here are a couple other hundred people of color who who are in your cohort who are going to help pull and push you along. And these fellows, our fellows, the MLT fellows, get one-on-one coaching. They're all sorts of assessments. They are um, working with that coach and with that cohort on how to best map out their careers for 18 months. Mm -hmm. And that gives them confidence. And that gives them confidence. There are all sorts of issues that all of us, no matter where we come from, what no matter what our gender, whether we're from majority population or minority population, that we wrestle with in the workplace. So some of the issues that you might be wrestling with is um, imposter syndrome. If you walk into a workplace, Diana, and you look around and you're the only woman on your team, we hear this a lot in Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. Um, or you're the only person of color, then you start spending a lot of your energy saying, wait a second, do I really belong here? And if you're spending energy wondering if you belong, then you're not spending energy leaning into your job and giving it the 120% it takes to be the superstar at that job. And it's not because you're not qualified. You're unquestionably talented. There's no doubt that you have the skills to do this. But when you have imposter syndrome, you don't have the confidence that you belong. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the confidence that you belong, it's nearly impossible to be the superstar that you need to do to advance in the corporation. I've heard about this recently in, in, in Press Forward's world. We're hearing a lot about imposter syndrome with women 
Um, so it sounds like it is something that is um, absolutely something we need to be addressing right. um, across the board. Um, one of the other things that, that we've spoken about um, with our organization, with Press Forward and with MLT, is the idea of intersectionality and how we have to start looking at these issues um, it, it, across the board. Um, we, we are, our tagline is we, we want to have a workplace where women and men can work together harmoniously, free from harassment, free from discrimination, free from abuse of power and bullying. I'm sure you all would say the same thing. So, I mean, how do, how do the issues that, that we are working on and the issues that you were working on, uh, we can marry those and, 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 and talk to us a little bit about intersectionality of these issues. Absolutely. About 50% of MLT's fellows are women, right? Um, the same issues that would make it difficult for a woman to progress in a, in a company, the same issues that would make it difficult for a woman to progress in a company or an organization are the issues that are the speed bumps for people of color. Mm -hmm. If everybody else knows the secrets to advancing um, and you don't, that's an issue. Um, if the culture, and we know just how important having a culture that is friendly to women and that is friendly to people of color, of color. We know just how extremely important that is. So all employees feel like they can actually thrive and reach their full potential. Mm -hmm. And if the culture hasn't um, been established from the top leaders right. in, the, in the organization, then people, all sorts of bad behaviors mm -hmm. that make it impossible, whether they're intentional or unintentional. And I want to really pay attention to that. Even if it's unintentional, mm -hmm. if it makes it difficult for women or people of color to advance, then that's got to change. And it's got to change from the top. Mm -hmm. Well, the leadership are the culture carriers. They are the ones that are... Uh, setting the tone for the office, exactly. and and if you have um, uh, abuse of power, or if you have uh, any marginalized group that is not feeling part of the culture, um, the only the only way that's going to change is from the top, and that has to trickle down through throughout the, the the rest. And you're right; it could be intentional or unintentional, but it, it still exists, and it's something that needs changing. Right, inviting the five guys. The five white guys who look like you to X event or to sit at your table at lunch. Just imagine it. You're not being a horrible person. You haven't done a criminal act, right. engaged in a criminal act. Right. But what you've done when you do that, when you're not intentional about being inclusive, about understanding how that can impact the career and the workplace of the people who aren't invited to the table, then yeah. you're contributing to the problem. Earlier this fall, the uh, ASNE, which is a, a news organization that represents a, a print news, uh, they came out with a study that shows um, there are still far, they are still far behind in representing people of color in, in American newsrooms and, and at least print newsrooms. Um, so they have um, a 22% of staffers are people of color, and the American population is 24% of 
people of color. So they're still they're still behind. There's still a lot of work to do, and that's just American print newsrooms. And we know um, with the Women in the Workplace study that um, McKinsey does every year that um, there's there are organizations that have a lot of work to do. What what do you say to them with regard to how to change how to make those changes? Just um, like I'd say to either a newsroom or any other sort of business, you can't be your best if you don't have the best ideas and the ability to reach each and every one of your clients or your customers. Um, we can tell a little story that um, a Latina pop artist died one Saturday and nobody in one newsroom knew who she was. and. That story was almost ignored because there were no Latinos or Latinx folks in the newsroom at that time Interesting. to tell that story, to say this is important to you, a huge segment of our audience. So we know that the, the minority population in this country is growing and it's not going to continue growing it's growing until it's going to be the majority if we don't have people in place who understand yeah. how to which stories are important uh, how to cover those audiences then we're not doing our best job i want to come back to one other thing that you you talked about um which is uh, some of your students. Mm -hmm. You so tell tell us how many you said you had seven thousand graduates. Is yeah, that we right? have more than seven thousand alumni, and we're continuing to add hundreds and hundreds and hundreds each year. And this ranges from every age, from college all the way up to mid level, from college all the way up to mid career, from career prep to MBA prep to we have a career advancement program for mid career and an experienced talent program to help folks out. Can you tell us uh, any you know specific or a few specific success stories of you were just so, out in California? I think you said. yes, yeah. I was just out in California, and our for our career prep program, it's an eighteen month program um, that uh, college students apply for in their sophomore years, and they start eighteen months of hard work, uh, getting an internship, and then trying to land a full time job before they graduate. So I was at a career prep closing ceremony. So these are students who are at the end of the journey um, and had the opportunity um, to talk to some incredible students, some of the students that we've helped tremendously. There are three things that we're working to do. We work in three spheres at MLT. We're really working to change the social economic mobility mm -hmm. for students. At MLT, we work in three spheres. We work to change social economic mobility for our fellows, and particularly for our undergraduate career prep fellows. Um, we're working on getting a critical mass of diverse leaders, and we're working to change institutions. We have an advisory service because you know we're working with individuals, but we're also working with institutions. Mm -hmm. um, I was just out in California with some of our undergraduates who've now finished their 18 months of um, being a career prep fellow. They're never done with being part of MLT. This is a lifelong, <laughs> it's a lifelong uh, association. Um, and I was able to speak to a great number of the students and uh, one student in particular had her internship last summer um, on Wall Street doing mergers and acquisitions. Um, for seven months, her dad has been detained by ICE, mm -hmm. 
And this student was the sole income for the family. And she's already got a post-graduation offer. So what the work we're doing at Press Forward, the work we're doing at MLT mm-hmm. is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly important. And it's just incredible when you can point to the individuals whose lives and whose careers you're helping to change and making a real impact here. Yeah. Um, and we see that over and over again. People who are super talented, people who are super bright, they just don't have a dad or a mom or an uncle or a neighbor who can help them navigate into the workplace. It's nothing short of having that coaching and that playbook and that network. Those three things that we're giving to the students yeah. who are unquestionably talented. It's hard to get into the program. Yeah. And when you get in, you have support, like the same sort of support we give those talented athletes to move on and move to the next Level. The topics that we um, have for our podcast series fall under a, a variety of different uh, topic headings, which is uh, uh, micro versus macro, uh, lessons learned, um, uh, deep dive. And uh, we were having you on today to talk about the micro approach to making culture change in, in the workplace. But it, this it, clearly your organization is doing micro and macro, and that's something to uh to be admired and, and hopefully replicated and, and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully soon see a lot more of this around. I totally believe it. Um, we started off doing individuals, mm-hmm. the micro, mm-hmm. and we realized we can have an impact by working on macro as well, you know, uh, consecutively, yeah. concurrently working on both, giving our fellows the tools, but also helping organizations change so that women and people of color can do what they need to do. And the organizations will only be stronger. We've seen this over and over again. I feel silly having to say this. You will only be stronger when you use all the talent that you have at your disposal. Organizations have been run typically by white men. Mm -hmm. Um, And so having the ability to reflect on how you can properly integrate women and people of color into your organization so they have the same opportunities that other white men have had for decades and decades and decades. Uh-huh. Um, it's critically important. Well, and we, we know that research and studies uh, have all pointed to the, the fact that you ha- if you have the more diverse your workforce, um, the, the uh, more successful and the more productive it's going to be. It's just, it, it's, it really is, as far as a business model, it really is a no, no-brainer. So hopefully these are, these are things that we are all doing to help change. And, right. And what we want our uh, companies and we, what we want our organizations to do is to really approach diversity and women in the workplace the problems that we're having with diversity and women in the workplace, approach this with the same comprehensive plan and solution that we approach any other business um, issue, Um, that you want to have metrics, you want to have accountability, 
and you want to get, you want to see real movement and not, let's stop all the talk and let's have some action. Well, I think um, just one more thing I wanted to add to that is that we have, Press Forward is working with Pointer Institute with training programs and we're doing training program for, um, for newsrooms, um, uh, talking about ethical leadership and management programs and um, educating uh, people to understand some of these issues. Um, our tagline for the training program is don't just tick the box. And I think this goes to the issue of you don't, you're not doing this just because you need to tick a box and, and say, okay, we've done this. We Now we have 14% and eight or 18% of minority women on the staff, or, you know, we have, you know, almost 30% now of women or, you know, people of color. I mean, it, it's not, t- it's not a, box ticking exercise. They need to believe in it. They need to take it on and understand the value of it beyond just ticking the box. So I would just love to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And it's not ticking the box. And oftentimes when they're ticking the boxes, um, you'll see an organization and I'm going to say a newsroom or any sort of business say, oh, but 24% of our population is you know, is minority. We have people of color, except those are not the decision makers. Those are not the right. people with power. Those are not the people who are listened to. Mm-hmm. So it's not about checking a box. Absolutely. I love that tagline, Diane. <laughs> I love it. It's not about checking the box. It's about getting to the root causes of why you don't have people mm-hmm. in your organization who are rising, pe- women and people of color who are rising to mm-hmm the leadership positions in your organization. It's about having proximity, proximity to those people who don't look like you and understanding their experiences. And then the leaders Mm -hmm. have to inspire with their vision, Mm -hmm. not that, oh, please check this box, don't Mm -hmm. tick this box, but have a vision for how you're really going to change, really, truly change the culture in your organization. Tell me a little bit more about the coaching. So our coaching, often people say that's the secret sauce for MLT. Our coaches help our fellows, once they're admitted into the program, um, get some personal clarity about what skills they have and where their passions lie. And then after they have that personal clarity, they start working with coaches who can help them get the jobs in the industry that's the best fit. It could be technology, software engineering. It could be supply chain, consulting, finance, uh, media and marketing. Whatever is the industry, there's a coach who's assigned who can help those fellows know what they need to do to hit the mark for high performance, to hit the high performance bar in that industry and not Mm -hmm. just survive once they get Mm -hmm. a job, but to thrive in their job. Well, let's hope that in a a year we're going to be sitting here and talking about all the the, the way things have changed in the workplace. It'll be nice. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Um, In the meantime, um, if people want to hear more stories about the change that individually that MLT is making in the lives of our fellows, they can go to our website at ml4t.org. That's ml, the number four, 
www.impactmedia.org. And when you look on our impact, there are several dozen stories that you can Great. read where people talk about people who are just starting their careers and people who've been in the workplace for 10 years or more talking about the impact of having those key ingredients mm -hmm. of having that coaching, having that playbook, having that accelerating network, and how transformative that is in their careers and their lives. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. It was a pleasure. It was my pleasure. And to make sense of this conversation, we now take a deeper dive. Joining me is veteran journalist Kathleen McElroy, who is now a professor and director of the School of Journalism at the University of Texas at Austin. As a journalist whose career spans nearly 30 years, Kathleen held numerous positions with the New York Times, The National, and Newsday, to name a few. Kathleen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Welcome back, I should say, right? You've done this before with us. <laughs> it's so nice to have you. And I just wanted to touch base with you briefly um, to get your thoughts on that conversation. What were some of your key takeaways? What I thought was so wonderful was the idea that you can effectively put people in a culture and train them to not just, you know, survive, but to thrive. Because we all assume that you're put in some culture, whether it's a newsroom or um, at a financial place, and you're just thrown to it. Someone said something profound to me the other day. People who don't succeed at work, 10% of it has something to do with skills. The rest of it has to do with culture. And what I find interesting about this program is that they're giving students or mid-career or all those different levels saying, no, there is a guidebook. There is um, a handbook and we're not going to keep it secret anymore. So I found that, you know, enlightening and inspiring. I, I did, too. I, I also just love the idea that um, they they take the the best of what sports can offer. I think it's important that we can all remember that. Um, you know, the sporting world is is not a perfect place. And we just had Christine Brennan on last week uh, talking about some of the problems that she still sees in the sport world, in the sporting world. But that you can take this idea of coaching and mentoring and a playbook and applying that to the workplace in a way that, you know, will hopefully advance people um, to feel more comfortable and to have more confidence. Yes. I mean, I too, you know, I love sports. And I also critique sports um, when I do research. So it's not perfect, but there is a sense that there is a score at the end of the day, right? And the way that you got to that score is that people who are trained to play defense, you know, were on defense and people who are trained to either shoot a basketball or to run or to skate, that there are these steps that someone has led them along the way. There is no fully formed Wimbledon champion. Right. So there's coaching and there's lots and lots of practice. And what she's saying is that we can we can have success to people no matter their backgrounds, not to say that their background could impede their success. But no matter what that culture is, that we can equip you to survive and thrive. So just as they do in sports. And how do you think this would work with the newsrooms in particular? How do you think this application 
um, and growth uh, and approach could work for newsrooms as a, as a seasoned journalist? What do you think? Well, I think the first thing we have to do in newsrooms is to understand that newsrooms are a business workplace. I think too often a newsroom is seen as this, this magical, mystical thing where deadlines and, you know, we're going to get the bad guy and we're going to do this and that. And that trumps the idea of this is a workplace, you know, composed of workers. So I think what would be important for newsrooms is for them or for the managers and the leaders to recognize, yes, journalistic content is what we're doing, but there are people who are producing that content. So you need to treat those people as if they're in a workplace that helps them do the best they can do. Right, right. And one other thing that we talked about in the conversation was this idea of leadership and the culture carriers and the, the people at the top are the culture carriers. And until you have diversity up the chain of command, up the pipeline and into the top C-suites positions, um, you're not going to have a culture that is diverse from the top down. What, what are your thoughts on that? What's interesting about that is you need the current leaders to put people in position to replace them. So this change in having more diverse C-suite, more diverse you know, executives has to be done by the people now in command. They have to want to find the people and groom them for their positions. So it's not just, boom, we're going to put people of color or women or women of color or people of different sexualities and genders and able-bodiedness. We're not just going to magically put them in there. You, the people who are in charge now, have to create that pipeline. They have to be the ones who are getting everybody through there. Because it's not, you just don't want to throw somebody in because they've done that before. And then it's like, oh, well, see, it didn't work out. We tried it with fill in the blank. Well, and it's, it's an, as we talked about in our conversation, it's not a box ticking exercise, which is what I think some leaders think it is. And it has to be that they take on the ideas and the culture and the, um, the business model that having diversity and a diverse culture and bringing in different people from different economic backgrounds, different genders, different uh, ethnic groups, different sexuality, as you say, I mean, you know, all of these things lead to a more productive and successful workplace. No, absolutely. And the leadership has to be proactive in this way. And I think most newsrooms have been not so much hostile to being inclusive, but just indifferent. That's why I emphasize the idea that thinking about this as a business and a workplace. If you're a leader, what type of worker do you want? You want a worker who feels safe and feels the space to be creative and productive and buy into your mission. As just a reminder to our audience, Press Forward came together in the fall of 2017 in the wake of Me Too. The silver lining is that we were 12 women who found each other coming together to tell our stories. But also the silver lining is that we felt it was important to work towards solutions. So Kathleen, tell us, what is your silver lining out of this conversation? Well, in following, you know, Portia's discussion with you, that more people are understanding intersectionality and that it matters and that it is a thing. So 
the more that we get the word out, the more that people understand it. And I know there's some blowback about it, but that's because people are realizing, some people feel threatened by it. But the more that we understand that it's not just being X and it's not just being Y, but where they intersect, that we have to look at that person wholly and understand how these points of oppression can suppress that person in the voice. And when we realize that, then we can work on building that person up again and understanding and removing those sources of oppression. I completely agree. You sort of took one of my silver linings away from me, which was that <laughs> these conversations are are exactly what we need in order to take into to take our take this forward into the next generation. That having these conversations, talking about these things, um, opening up uh, ideas and and bringing them to leaders about intersectionality and culture and change and all of this is going to be um, hopefully for the good of the next generation. I think the second silver lining that I see is um, what an interesting approach. Um, you know, they, they, they talked, Portia talked about um, the micro, which is, you know, coaching the individual and helping the individual, but that, that also leads to the macro, which is helping organizations. And I think the, the joy of this job, at least for me, is listening to and talking to a variety of different people with different approaches, with different solutions, with different innovative ideas. And, um, and this is the, the, the joy of having the podcast. So that's my silver lining. Kathleen, for our audience out there who's listening to us, uh, where could they find you and more about the University of Texas, Austin and the journalism school? Well, if they want to go old school, <laughs> we're at the, um, in fact, I'm going to call it up. We're at journalism.utexas.edu. Um, if they want to reach out to me personally, they um, can always go to at Kathleen O. And I don't want people on my Instagram because then you'll see all the food that I bake. But um, you can always just reach out to um, Moody College and the School of Journalism on Twitter through Moody College or the School of Journalism, University of Texas at Austin. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathleen. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to talking to you again soon at, at the University of Texas at Austin with all the good work you guys are doing down there. Uh, we want to do more with you, Diana. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm Diana Pierce Burgess, the Executive Director of Press Forward. Visit us online at www.thepressforward.org. Join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Press Forward Now on Facebook and at The Press Forward on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to catch our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. We'll see you next week.